Hey, welcome to the Hopecast. This week, uh, we are looking at uh, the second of a ten-part series on uh, questions that Jesus asked. This week, the question that we're looking at is in Matthew chapter 20, where Jesus encounters two blind men who cry out to him for mercy, and he asks them, what do you want me to do for you? And we talk about how um, that question helps turn their focus inward to examine their purpose. And so we talk about examining our purpose today and what should it be and what would we answer to the question, what do we want Jesus to do for us? We hope you enjoy. Peace. Uh, this summer, we're at, we've been doing a series uh, starting last week about 10 different questions that Jesus asked to people. Okay, And uh, we're looking at them and trying to apply them to ourselves as if he is asking us and how would we react to them, how would we respond to those questions. And this week we are uh, looking at a question where Jesus asked some people what he want, what they want him to do for them. So be thinking about that. What would you want Jesus to do for you? And we're going to get to that. Last week we looked at a question uh, where Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And we talked about our identity and how Jesus changes how we see ourselves, right? And today as we're thinking about the question, you know, what do you want Jesus to do for you? I want to focus on uh, the, the topic or the idea of purpose, right? Uh, purpose is the reason we do something or it's the reason why something exists, right? Everybody has a purpose. Why do you do the things that you do? For some people, it's about their well-being, their mental health. Maybe uh, they do the things they do for their career. Um, maybe their family, their friends. Uh, for people who are in need, there are lots of uh, purposes and reasons why we do what we do, right? It's what drives us our purpose, and it's closely related to what we talked about last week, our identity. Often who we think we are drives what we do, what we think we should be doing. We attended, uh, yesterday we had the, the opportunity to attend a football camp put on by Carlos Watkins. Uh, if you don't know who he is, he uh, went to Chase High School, graduated, went on to Clemson. He was part of their uh, national championship team in like 2016. Uh, then he played, and I'm going to screw this up because I'm not like a big NFL fan. Um, I just, I'm just not into it. Uh, but he went to, I think, the Texans, and now he's, somebody help me out. Where's he at now? Does anybody know? The Cardinals, okay. So he's been in the NFL for several years, and uh, for the past four years, uh, this is the fourth year, he's put on a, a football camp, right? And he gets friends of his that uh, are, you know, and he comes and he gets like friends of his and his dad and some of his family who are coaches and who have been involved in, in athletics to come and, and they spend a couple of hours going through drills with different people. And this is the second year uh, that our boys got to attend. Uh, it was hot yesterday. They played really hard and it was, it was a really good day. But I was, uh, at the end, the, there was a guy that spoke briefly, right? Cause these guys were hot and they were hungry and they had hot dogs waiting for them, but they want, he wanted to, to speak briefly to them. And I think this is really cool how, uh, he ties in, Carlos tries to tie in, not just football, but, you know, a purpose. And, and, and it's, there's a reason that he does these things, right? 
Uh, but he had a guy speak that he was on uh, Clemson's football team with. They were actually roommates. And this guy's name was Roderick Byers. And Roderick uh, played in college uh, with Carlos. He was part of the Clemson National Championship team in 2016. And after college, he signed with the Carolina Panthers. But after only, I think he said, one day of officially being a Panther, he suffered a career-ending spinal injury, right? So he was only two days in the NFL, and he was done, right? And, and he told the kids, he was very open and very vulnerable, and I thought this was really, really what, was what struck me, that he struggled with his identity and his purpose after that because all of his adult life or all of his you know, high school and college career was focused on football. And now he didn't have that. He wasn't able to pursue it like he thought he did. It caused him to suffer from anxiety, from depression. And he had to refind himself. Who, who was he really? What's his purpose? And he ended up finding it uh, by realizing that he was more than football. He was worthy just because he was. He existed as a human being and he had value because... He just was, right? And he ended up taking that, and uh, he, he's now a mental health advocate, and he speaks to uh, young people and teenagers. And he wrote a book. It was called uh, Making Friends with a Monster, with the Monster. And uh, they, they gave all the kids a copy of it yesterday. And he wanted every kid at that camp to know that they were enough, just because they were. didn't matter if they ever played football past a certain level or are they ever, you know, made it into the NFL or anything. Um, they were enough just because. And so his one of his whole purposes now is helping kids who may be struggling with anxiety or depression or a feeling of less than um, because of anything in their life, right? And we've all struggled with these feelings of worth at times. We, f- we may feel devalued that maybe we aren't good enough for some reason or for a certain group of people maybe. And sometimes it's hard after a life change to find our purpose, right? I've heard of uh, parents who once their kids grow and go away, they're kind of looking at each other and saying, what now, right? Our whole 18 plus years have been about these kids and now we may not know what to do with ourselves. We all go through that in times of our lives. We have to realign ourselves and press on. And like I mentioned earlier, our purpose comes from our identity. And this week we're looking at a time where Jesus asked a question that zeroed in on the purpose of some men and he changed their lives. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 through 34. Let's read it. As they were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him, Jesus. There were two blind men sitting by the road. When they heard that Jesus was passing by, they cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. The crowd demanded they keep quiet, but they cried out all the more, Lord, have mercy on us, son of David. Jesus stopped and he called them and he said, what do you want me to do for you? That's our question. Lord, they said to him, open our eyes. And moved with compassion, Jesus touched their eyes. And immediately they could see and followed him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your great love, your great mercy. Help us today to hear what you have to say to us through your words. Help me to speak them as as best as I can, as, as you've given them to me. 
Uh, just hide me behind you. Uh, let this be all about you, not about me. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, previous to this passage, I always like to really talk about context, okay? Because there's an author that I love. His name is Christian A. Smith. He has a saying that uh, a text without context is just a con, right? We cannot take the Bible and treat it like a claw machine and just pluck verses out and say, oh, this is what everything is about. We get misled that way. Just like you wouldn't pick, pick up a classic novel, right, like A Tale of Two Cities or anything and turn to page 205 and pick the second sentence of the third paragraph and say, this is what this book is all about. It just doesn't work that way, okay? So in the context of where we're at, Jesus had been going on, had been going around and teaching many things up to this point. Some of the things he taught were uh, in the chapters preceding this. He taught about the parable of the lost sheep, where he said, suppose a shepherd has 100 sheep and he has 99 of them safe and secure, but one is missing. Won't he go and find the one that is missing and leave the 99 who are safe? Then he asked the question of some of his disciples, or actually some of his disciples asked him, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And he reminded them, told them, the greatest is the least, the one who is the servant of all. And in the chapters preceding this, he has predicted his crucifixion three times to his disciples. We talked about one of them last week when Peter kind of scolded him when Jesus said that he had to be crucified. And Peter said, no, 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 not you. We will not let this happen to you. And Jesus didn't, he was like, you don't understand what you're saying, right? He actually said, get behind me, Satan, to Peter. Because his idea of who Jesus was or who the Messiah was wasn't quite complete yet. In the preceding chapters, he told a rich young ruler about the two greatest commandments, which are love God and love others as you love yourself. And he was sad when the rich young ruler couldn't seem to let those rules change his heart to care more about people than about his own possessions. The end of that little passage says that the rich young ruler went away sad when Jesus told him to sell everything he had and give it to the poor because he had many possessions. And in the book of Matthew, chapter 20, is kind of like uh, the end of the exposition and, and, and the conflict of the story. If you, if you remember back to, and I had to really, I had to look this up because I knew, I knew it was a thing, I knew it was a, a, a literature term, but I couldn't remember, I had to look it up. But if you go back to high school English for, with me for a second, uh, the chapter 20 in the book of Matthew is uh, the end of the exposition, right? Where we're telling the story, we're leading up to uh, the, the, the rising action portion of the story and the climax, of course, Jesus' resurrection in chapter 21. Okay, so we've, we've entered, we've, we've learned about Jesus. We've seen all the things that he has done. And this is kind of the, the point right before we get to the point of the whole, the whole book, right? We're closing out a section where Jesus has taught and modeled for the disciples and the crowds that followed him. And he's about to pull it all together where he's going to give his life as a ransom for them. These verses are just a snapshot of one of the many times that Jesus healed people. He healed people uh, more than 23 times in the Gospels. But in some of those, it didn't specify how many people there were. It just said he healed many, right? So it's more than 23 people. He healed many people. He also raised several from the dead. He walked on water. He calmed a storm. He turned water into wine. He cast out demons and many other miraculous things. And we talked some last week about who Jesus was, who, who people said he was. 
<coughs> excuse me. And if you look at these things, we have to have to conclude that he was more than just a great moral teacher or a great moral um, example, right? And in our story today, these guys recognized who Jesus was, or at least as much as they could, and they proclaimed him as Lord. They called him the son of David. They recognized something great in him. According to Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, there was a tradition in Judaism that a, a, a prophetic, a messianic figure called the son of David would have healing powers. And it was often used by the marginalized in the Gospels, the blind, the leper, the lame, to ask for help. They would cry out, save us, son of David. Help us, son of David. Have mercy on us. And you probably know that mercy is showing favor to someone that you don't owe to them. They recognized their great need, these blind men, and they asked Jesus to have compassion on them, even though they were not owed it. And as they were crying out, the crowd around Jesus begins to rebuke them. Rebuke is the word you see a lot in the Gospels, and it's still in use today, uh, but you don't use it a lot outside of like <clears throat> the church or people talking about churchy concepts. But a rebuke is a sharp criticism. Hey guys, shut it. You need to stop talking. Recognize your place because Jesus doesn't have time for people like you. The crowd was telling the blind men this. Can't you see that Jesus is surrounded by all of these people? He's got a lot going on. Know your place and stay in your lane. In chapter 19, the disciples rebuked a parent or rebuked some parents and uh, for bringing their children to see Jesus. They said, don't bother Jesus with this. But Jesus reminded them the kingdom of God belongs to those who would become like a child and have faith. They're not unimportant. And I imagine these blind guys have probably felt like that before. And I've felt like that before. Uh, I've, there's been times in my life where maybe I've tried to impress someone with a smart answer. Like, oh, I got this figured out. Here's the, here's the answer. Only to be corrected by them because I didn't quite have it right. But these blind men weren't deterred. They kept shouting out, help us, son of David. I imagine having a disability like blindness uh, may cause people to, to have a little more confidence in themselves. I think you have to. Um, or maybe they wouldn't be able to continue living. If they could navigate their world without sight, it would cause them to be more, um, uh, there's a word for it, tenacious. It's not the word I'm thinking of, but that's another one. It would cause them to be more resilient. That's the word I was looking for. Uh, and, and so they, they, had this ability to keep going, to press on, even in the face of people telling them to stop. So they continued to cry out, and Jesus confronted them. He finally, he, well, probably not finally, he heard them, and, and he, he turned around, and he asked them this question. What do you want me to do for you? What is your purpose in calling my name, calling me son of David, asking me to have compassion on you? What's going on? You've recognized that I'm more than just human. You understand at least something about who I am and what I've came to do. How do you want me to leverage that for you? What's your need? And Jesus, again, like we talked about last week, is showing us his great skill as a teacher. Sometimes we may not know why we are asking 
the question. We may not know the deeper reason for it. Jesus is helping them to inspect themselves and to think deeply about it, to turn their focus inward. Now, of course, their greatest need was their sight. They could have their sight. They could have a better life. If you've attended any sort of college class or, or if you, I know many of us are in education, you've probably heard about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I see many heads shaking. <laughs> it's this idea of people aren't really concerned or can't really focus on their mental needs, like what they need to know if we're trying to teach them how to multiply or divide or whatever, until their physical needs are met, right? It's hard to focus on what your teacher's saying if your stomach is rumbling, right? It's hard to do much if you have physical needs that aren't being met. And so, of course, that was their greatest need. So they asked Jesus, give us our sight. And like he always does, Jesus had compassion on them because they humbly approached him. They knew who he was. And he restored their sight, and many may expect them to then go out into Jericho, which was the city they were outside of, and maybe they had family they needed to reconnect with, or friends, or maybe they had a dream of owning uh, some kind of business or something, right? And they say, oh, now I have my sight. I can go and do those things. And that would be perfectly reasonable. But they didn't do that. Jesus changed them. In verse 34, he says that it says that once they received their sight, they followed Jesus. They joined up with the crowd of people that had just attempted to silence them. And in answering the question that Jesus asked, they acknowledged who he was, who he is, and responded appropriately. They had faith that he was the Messiah and that he had the power to improve their situation. And it's in the answer to this question that they ultimately found, find, or found, found, sorry, their purpose, which is to follow Jesus. They were no longer limited to begging on the side of the road or stumbling along trying to find their way. They could go and do whatever they wanted with their new, with their new sight. But they chose to follow the one that had compassion on them, who saw them and cared for them when everyone else was telling them to be quiet. Because of their encounter with Jesus, their purpose changed. They weren't necessarily interested in living a normal life of sight anymore. Or at least it appears this way. We don't know what happened to these guys. This is me taking some license to, to you know, say what might have happened. But at least in these verses, we say it shows that they followed him. Because they had been touched by Jesus. They were noticed by him. He deemed them important enough to pay attention to. Many people probably passed by them day after day, maybe handing them a coin here or there or some food. But Jesus really took an interest in them and who they were. He noticed their needs and their why, their reason why, their purpose was transformed because of his compassion. They weren't just blind people anymore. They were now whole and they found a new identity and their purpose changed. If you've ever had an encounter with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the divine, you can probably understand what they were feeling. It seems like your eyes are opened and your whole life and your reason for being changes and you want to come to know more and more about who God is. And if you've been there, you may have come to realize that your purpose for life has become 
at that moment more about Jesus than about yourself. And I've struggled on that whole journey to continue keeping Jesus at the center of the purpose of my life. We fail. We mess up. We stumble, whether accidentally, sometimes intentionally. But Jesus is always there, compassionate, when we cry out, have mercy on us. And He always does. And when we see Jesus have compassion on those around us, and we feel His compassion and His love towards us, it starts to change our purpose. It starts to change our ideas of who deserves our compassion and our notice. People who can offer you nothing in return, we begin to see, we begin to notice, we begin to have compassion on them. The orphans, the widows, the refugees. It's because of Jesus' compassion that you might find the courage to speak up in situations where you might otherwise be afraid of confrontation because it's the right thing to do. That's happened to me way more times than I probably would know. I hate confrontation. I hate getting in arguments with people. I, 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 I feel like I never handle them well, especially online. Um, and so I've really tried hard to, to just, you know, put my thoughts forward. If people want to push back, I'll respond in kind or, or, or respond a little bit. But if it starts to, to turn south, I'll say, hey, let's, let's get together and talk about this in person, right? I found that it's much easier to have difficult conversations face-to-face, right? But Jesus can help us to have that compassion on others. He changes our purpose. We begin to see things differently, see people differently, have more compassion and grace for those who are different than us. And our purpose becomes about those people that Jesus loves because He has loved us. As He loves us, we can internalize that love, begin to see us, ourselves, as Jesus sees us, and then we can see others the way that Jesus sees them. We don't change so that we can receive His love. We are changed because of it. And that's exactly what happened to these blind men. They had a need, and they cried out to Jesus to help them with their need, and He ended up changing their whole reason for living. They started following Him. And you may be sitting here today unsure about your purpose for life. Maybe you've been reorganizing or deconstructing your faith, and and you don't believe all the same things that you used to, or you're questioning some things about things you've been taught or things you believe. I've been there, right? Trust me, it's not easy. And that's okay. Maybe it's God changing your purpose, tweaking it a little to love the people that Jesus loves a little bit better. Or maybe you've never had a personal encounter with Jesus and you realize that your purpose in life is about you more than it's about others and and you want to change that. You want to know more about who Jesus is. You want to receive His love for you. He's here for that. He's here for you in that. You just have to ask Him to help you, and I'd be more than glad. And I know there's probably several of us here that would love to pray with you. Whatever your need is, as we kind of close out uh, in, in song here in a minute, Jesus wants to align your purpose with His, to be more compassionate, more loving, more accepting like He is.
as we close in song, whatever, whatever you feel like your need is, he wants to meet you right where you are. Uh, I'd be in, I'll be in the back if anyone, if you'd like to have some prayer, I'd love that. But either way, Jesus is asking you, what do you want him to do for you today? And whatever that is, he's there for it. He's there to help you with it. Ask him to do it. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your great love for aligning our purpose to yours. For Jesus being the Messiah, the Son of David, who has compassion on us, who are sinful and who have a great need, and we may not even realize what it is. Help us to see what need we have of you today, what we need you to do for us on our behalf that we are unable to do for ourselves. If we need forgiveness, help us to cry out for that. If we need reconciliation with a friend, a family member, help us with that. If we need compassion for a certain person or a group of people, whatever it is, help us with it. Thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.